it kind of reminds me of that story about, you know, the two fish were in, a, in the aquarium and the older fish swims by and he says, hey guys, how's the water? And they're like, what's water? <laughs> you know, because it's just around them all the time that you don't even notice it. So fluoride is just so ubiquitous in our society that so we put it in the water. It's in so many foods. It's a pesticide. We're exposed to it so much that people don't realize how it's affecting them because it's always been that way. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Could excessive fluoride be causing your acne flare-ups or the flare-ups of somebody that you know? That's the question we're exploring today. Excessive fluoride exposure has been debated for decades. Goodness knows it was on my radar back in my mid-20s. And many people, potentially including you, have strong views either for or against water fluoridation. And recently, there is more mounting evidence pointing to high levels of fluoridation being a risk of adverse health effects such as acne, hip fractures, reproductive issues, kidney damage, delayed cognitive development, lowering IQ levels, and decreased thyroid function. And these are just a couple of the biggest health concerns we see when it comes to high levels of fluoride in the body. Since the mid-1940s, compounds containing the mineral fluoride have been added to community water supplies throughout the U.S. to prevent tooth decay. Health concerns expressed by opponents have largely been dismissed until recently. Now, evidence is mounting that in an era of fluoridated toothpaste and other consumer products that boost dental health, the potential risk from consuming fluoridated water may outweigh the benefits for some individuals. Now, back in 2016, for the first time in 53 years, the U.S. Public Health Service lowered its recommended levels of fluoride in drinking water. The mounting scientific concern is that fluoride may be dangerous at high levels. Excessive fluoride causes fluorosis. This is changes in tooth enamel that range from barely noticeable white spots to staining and pitting. Fluoride can also become concentrated in the bones, stimulating bone cell growth, altering the tissue structure, and weakening the skeleton, which leads to the hip fractures and other fractures that people experience. Perhaps most worrisome is preliminary research in laboratory animals suggesting that high levels of fluoride may be toxic to the brain and nerve cells. And human epidemiological studies have identified possible links to learning memory and cognitive deficits or decline. Now, today I invited Melissa Gallico, a former FBI analyst, to share her story and the research on fluoride, along with some background on why fluoride was added to our water back in 1945 in the first place. I think it's so important to look at the history and see why we made that decision. Melissa, being an investigator by by trade and education, is going to get into the root cause of what is going on. Now, I personally think this is an important conversation to have so that you can feel more informed and then make the best choice for you and your family's health. And here's the deal. As you know, I already have low thyroid function due to my Hajimoto's. And although my Hajimoto's is in remission right now, it's really a no-brainer to significantly reduce any level of toxic exposure in my life and in my, my food, in my water, just so I can continue to keep my thyroid healthy. 
it is proven that fluoride can lower thyroid function. So we have removed as much fluoride from our lives as possible. We filter our fluoride out of our drinking water. We don't buy fluoridated toothpaste and supplements, and we don't buy fluoridated wine as well. We're super mindful when we buy organic produce, when we buy wine, and we always wash our produce before eating it, just to make sure that we are covering our bases here. And this is the case for so many different types of toxins. Again, sometimes at small levels, they're okay, but as we learned, it can mount over time and then create issues for each and every one of us. So in this interview, I will be sharing the water filter that we use at home and how I figured out which wine, I have a wine club that I absolutely love that doesn't leave you with migraines within minutes of drinking it. See, most wines have a lot of additives and preservatives and chemicals for whatever reason here in this country, especially in California. And so I had to dig pretty deep to find a company, a wine club that goes to the ends of the earth to find wine that's biodynamic, organic, and is free of all these pesticides, herbicides, additives, and chemicals. So I'll be sharing that as well in case you are a wine drinker. Now for me, I am not a fan of chemical wine. I like chemically free wine. Even though I don't drink it that much anymore, I do love having wine at the house for guests and even for gifts to give when we're going to house parties. So I just wanted to share my little take. You're gonna hear a couple of those things in the interview today as well. Now, before I bring on Melissa, I'm super excited to have her on. I wanna take a moment and celebrate you. Every single day, I hear from new listeners who were recommended by you. And one such listener is Darlene, and she reached out to me on Facebook. Here is what Darlene had to say. I am in love with your podcast, but a couple episodes really struck a chord with me. The one with Amy Smith on owning my boundaries and the one with Dr. Shanks on how our stories can keep us stuck in our illness. These are both areas that I have played a role in my life. I know that I am a constant people pleaser and I feel so overextended. I rarely put myself first because I was taught that that's not what you should do. These interviews have given me so much insight and a lot to think about moving forward. I expect that my health is tethered to my needing to please and feeling like I'm not worthy enough. I'm looking forward to rewriting this new story for myself. Thank you for bringing on such amazing women to share their information with us. Whoa, Darlene, that is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your epic win. And I'm so happy to shout you out today. I am so glad that you're feeling fully prepared to support your body, specifically when it comes to setting up boundaries and knowing how to rewrite that story so that you are 100% deserving and worthy of a body that works for you and that you feel good embracing that. Now, if you are listening, Darlene, I would love to gift you a signed copy of the EO Hormone Solution book with all kinds of self-care recipes. And goodness knows, I address that head on myself because I have been a people pleaser as we learned in that episode with Amy Smith. And you can just reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Marisa, and we will get that book out to you, Darlene, as soon as possible. Now, if you are listening, First, welcome to this episode. In case you were wondering about the episodes that Darlene mentioned, they were episode 66, episode 166 and 170. Episode 166 was how our old stories can slam the brakes on healing. And episode 170 was saying no to people pleasing and establishing effective boundaries. Whew, those were some powerful episodes. I call those the intangibles, the things that are playing a role in our health but we don't really notice that they're playing a role. 
Now, if any episode or interview has helped you in any way, like it's helped Darlene, I would love, love to shout you out. You can reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, or the gold standard is review this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you love to plug into. That way, together, we are changing the way women think about their bodies and empowering them with the knowledge to become the CEO of their health. Now let's jump into this amazing conversation with Monica Gallico, but before I bring her on, I want to quickly sing her praises. Melissa Gallico is a former military intelligence officer, Fulbright scholar, and intelligence specialist at the Federal Bureau of Investigation, where she provided analytical support for national security investigations and instructed classes for FBI analysis at Quantico. She is the author of The Hidden Cause of Acne and the host of F Pollution, a podcast dedicated to exposing the pollution story behind artificial water fluoridation in the United States. Gallico graduated from, with honors from Georgetown University with a degree in science, technology, and international studies. Woo, we are about to get in it today with Melissa. Let's bring her on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Melissa Gallico, how are you doing today, girl? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Well, I am excited to have this conversation. This is an area that we have not talked about here on the podcast, although we have talked about toxicity. We've talked about environmental chemicals and how they have an impact on our brain, our hormones, our skin, our health and well-being. Specifically today, we're going to be talking about how fluoride could be affecting our skin, our hormones, and our brain function. This is an area, I know this is your pure passion. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I would love for you to share, how did you go from being an FBI analyst to an author and a podcast that focuses on the detrimental effects of fluoride? It was really through um, through my personal experience with um, being affected by fluoride. Uh, through my career as an intelligence specialist, I lived abroad in a lot of different countries. And since I was a teenager growing up in the U.S., I had really bad cystic acne. And the dermatologist just told me there was no cure. They put me on medications that had a lot of really bad side effects. And I just didn't, I just thought it was, you know, the way I was. But when I lived in these other countries, my skin would clear up right away and I would have effortless, effortlessly clear skin the entire time I lived there. I would come back to the U.S. for a week just to visit and my skin would start breaking out again. So I knew it was something here in my environment. Eventually, after about 15 years or 20 years, I, I figured out it was the fluoride in my diet. I knew that fluoride, topical fluoride, could cause acne, but I didn't know that drinking fluoride or having it in my diet could cause acne. But it was really easy for me to test once I thought, once I had that idea, like, oh, maybe it's because it's in my water. I just switched to a different source of water, and right away, my skin cleared up probably about 75%. And then over the next few months, I, I knew you know, okay, fluoride is a trigger for me. So I was able to trace back, you know, whatever I ate in the last 24 hours and root out that remaining like 25% of fluoride exposure because it wasn't a lot more than just water. So I figured out all the hidden sources of fluoride in my diet, my skin completely cleared. And I wrote a little PDF guide, put it online for free, how to clear your skin if you have this weird allergy to fluoride that I had. And I just heard from so many people who who had the same condition. And that's when I really thought, okay, I need to turn it into a real book and actually try to get the word out about this because it is a common condition. It's just people don't know about it. So you don't look for it. 
Hmm. And is it, is it allergy induced? I just figured it was a neurotoxin and it was a, it was a, just a toxin in the body disrupting a lot of pathways. So talk to me about what it is, what's going on in the That's body. That's a better way to explain it. But in my mind back then, I just thought, oh, I have a weird allergy, but it really is more of a toxin that accumulates. Most of it accumulates in your teeth and your bones, but they found fluoride throughout the body and the the lens of your eye and in the regions of the heart and in the pineal gland and in your brain, that's where they found the highest concentrations of fluoride. So it does accumulate throughout your body and people react to it in different ways. Well, specifically focusing on acne, because goodness knows, you know, we have talked about acne on the show, whether it's induced by PCOS or it's induced by toxins or a gut microbiome issue. If fluoride induced acne is so common, why aren't we seeing it or hearing about it in terms of a solution? It kind of reminds me of that story about, you know, the two fish were in, a, in the aquarium and the older fish swims by and he says, hey guys, how's the water? And they're like, what's water? <laughs> you know, because it's just around them all the time that you don't even notice it. So fluoride is just so ubiquitous in our society that we put it in the water. It's in so many foods. It's a pesticide. We're exposed to it so much that people don't realize how it's affecting them because it's always been that way. Just like with me, if I never had that opportunity to live outside of the United States and see the difference, I would never have picked up on the fact that fluoride was affecting my skin. And then, of course, there's a lot of controversy over it in the scientific community. It's one of the most controversial things in medicine because of you know, just the whole idea of the government putting this chemical in our water to treat a health condition. So that has really restricted the conversation around the health effects of fluoride. Hmm. I absolutely agree. I think that that's one of the biggest controversial concerns. Even still, though, there are a lot of counties that ban fluoride altogether because they're definitely concerned about it. But let's talk about some of these recent studies. You know, I, I know I personally know the history of fluoride. I've definitely been concerned about fluoride. We have fluoride filters, water filters, we even have fluoride and chlorine filters for our our shower heads pretty much everywhere in the house because it's definitely a concern that I am mindful of. So we, we actively ensure that we are not, I don't know about consuming, I haven't gone that far, but definitely when it comes to water, we're really, really mindful. So talk to me about, because I know a lot of people are hearing this and they've maybe heard whispers about it, but then their dentists are always recommending it. It seems to be fine. Is there really any real cause for concern? Talk to me about some of the research articles that highlight the role of fluoride as a not only a neurotoxin, but something that can disrupt the microbiome and then also clearly disrupt our skin micro, our skin biome as well. There are a lot of articles, um, a lot of research over the last 75 years that we've been putting fluoride in the water. But recently, the conversation has really been about the neurotoxicity of fluoride because there have been some very high-level, well-conducted studies funded in part by, by the U.S. government. So they are, um, they are funding some of these studies about the neurotoxicity of fluoride, um, mostly about exposure during pregnancy, exposure um, for the fetus, for the neurocognitive development of children. And that's where they found a really concerning correlation between fluoride exposure and lowered IQ, which, you know, for, for an individual, a few points of IQ might not have a huge effect throughout their life. But when you look at it on a on the society scale, what it's doing to our society as a whole, it really has a lot of different impacts. There's an article that came out at the end of last year in JAMA Pediatrics, 
and they knew it was going to be controversial. So they really, um, they had an editorial by a Harvard uh, toxicologist to explain, you know, how vigorous the study was and he likened fluoride exposure to lead, to where we were with lead 30 years ago when there was controversy over, oh, is it really that bad for you? Do we really have to reduce it? It's such a small amount that children are being exposed to, but it really was bad. And, and it just took a lot of time for that change to happen. And that's kind of where we're at with fluoride right now, as far as understanding the neurotoxicity of it. These studies weren't done back in the 40s and the 50s when they were first thinking this is a great idea. They, they weren't sophisticated enough to, to really understand how it would be affecting other parts of the body. So now that it's already so well established, the practice of fluoridation, it's, it's a lot harder to go back and look at that. But, but the National Toxicology Program admits that we do not have the evidence to say that fluoride is safe. So right there, that is very concerning. And meanwhile, we, we are being exposed to it. So it's very important to just take that precautionary approach and lower your exposure and hopefully get it out of your water while they're figuring out how, how bad it is for you. So the neurotoxicity is the main um, point of concern right now in the news, but there's also a lot of articles about how fluoride depresses thyroid function, which is something that affects so many people, especially women here in the U.S., and back in the mid-20th century, fluoride was actually used as a medication to treat people with hyperactive thyroid. So they would either give them fluoride pills or sometimes put them in baths with fluoridated water in an effort to lower their thyroid function. So now we have all these people with low thyroid function who are still consuming that fluoride and bathing in that fluoride. And it does come, you know, soak in through your skin. So dermal absorption is a consideration. And they're all being exposed to this um, thyroid depressant. So that is another area that I, I think is uh, definitely something we should be paying more attention to. Mm, absolutely. I think that's a lot of what I've read about as well is that we're seeing fluoride have a profound impact on the our thyroid function. Our thyroid is so delicate and it's so vascular that it tends to be a, a victim for a lot of high toxins that come into the system, fluoride being one of those. No surprise as well as if we've got leaky gut syndrome due to you know, toxic load and over toxic load, fluoride being one of those toxins, we're going to see that in as a neurotoxin as well. So, um, you know, these are, these are not surprising statistics to me, given the, the research, research that I have read, what, what's interesting to me is the level of controversy. It's, it's almost not okay for us to go back from what we had said the benefits were so many, many years ago when it's quite obvious that there's a lot of glaring research that demonstrates that it's not serving us, it's, it's actually making us sick. And so let's say the government hasn't made any decision about it. Let's say that counties and, and states and cities haven't decided to take fluoride, fluorinated water out of the scenario. And again, some counties have absolutely voted out fluorinated water. I know in California, there are multiple places that have where I live right now is not one of those places. But what can we do knowing that it's possibly causing skin acne, skin acne, it's possibly causing brain fog, memory issues, developmental issues, reproductive issues, thyroid issues? What are common ways in which we can set ourselves up for success? Because it sounds like it's kind of something that we're going to have to do on our own. Besides moving out of the country. <laughs> Oh, I know, right? <laughs> you could get a well. <laughs> no. 
Um, well, so if you're on public water, you know, first just being informed about what are they putting in your water. You can call them, ask them where do they get the fluoride. 90% of the time, it's a byproduct of phosphate fertilizer manufacturing in Central Florida. So that's one thing you can ask and ask how much is added to the water. Every year, they're required to put out an annual water quality report, and it should tell you the exact amount of fluoride in your public water supply. So 0.7 is what the CDC recommends. The mean fluoride content of fresh surface water is 0.05. So it's much, much, much lower. There's always, you know, a tiny amount of fluoride, but it's much lower than what they're putting in the water supply. Melissa, real quick, just on the byproduct, wasn't that the beginning of all of this to begin with is that we had this massive byproduct of fluoride and we were wondering what to do with it? That's such a good question. I actually have a whole podcast series about this because as an FBI analyst, I wanted to know how did this start? So I dug up all of these documents, like the primary historical documents explaining, you know, that show how this happened. And it's not exactly that they were trying to find a way to get rid of their byproduct. It's more because they were being sued over the effects of their fluoride air pollution cattle, crops, even human health, the people that lived in the area were suing them because of the fluoride air pollution was so toxic. So they funded research at all these prestigious universities to say fluoride is safe. And those were the same researchers who said lead is safe, who said DDT is safe. D industry had their research groups that they would fund with tons of money to say that these chemicals were safe. And then when dentists were interested in fluoride, because it causes a condition called dental fluorosis, which is a discoloring of the tooth enamel. Right now, over 70% of children in a certain age group, they, they have this dental fluorosis. It's a permanent condition. You can see it on your children's teeth or even on your teeth if you were exposed to too much fluoride when your teeth were forming. So dentists were interested in fluoride industry researchers exploited that interest to say, hey, maybe it looks bad, but it makes the teeth stronger. And they funded this research. The connection is very weak. At the time, they said, oh, it's amazing reduction in cavities. Now, we all know it wasn't an amazing reduction in cavities, and the, the science does not support that. But industry really exploited that interest, and they used it in court. They used all the testimony from dentists saying, oh, it's safe, it's good for you to win these lawsuits. And I point to this evidence in the show notes for my podcast. You can look at the court documents and you can see exactly what they're saying. They were saying, hey, dentists said that this amount of fluoride is safe. That's the same amount of fluoride that's in our fluoride air pollution. So it must be safe. And that's really where it happened. It was just a perk that, that now they get to sell their fluoride air pollution to your local water provider. <laughs> The interpretation, the research that I had seen a long time ago, this feels a lot dirtier than even the understanding that I had, you know, a decade ago when I was learning about this for the first time, Th that level of exposure and goodness knows, I know you do your, you're literally an FBI analyst. It's your job to get to the root cause of what's going on here. And, you know, that the fact that there is absolutely correlated court documents and testimony that matches up. And now when we see the repercussions of this much, this level of fluoride in people's bodies, for me, it, it just makes sense. So I know we were talking about like checking in with your water supply, seeing how much fluoride they're putting into the water. If we knew that, would the same result, wouldn't it just be the same result anyway? Like I don't, I don't need to see what's going on with my water to know that I don't want to drink it in my area. You know, does that make sense? I guess I should, I could look, but I don't trust it. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. 
And so I'm just like, okay, let's just get straight to the, and I guess the assumption, and I'm sure you know, and I'm sure people reported to you that some areas probably add more fluoride than other areas do. And those particular areas, you really shouldn't drink your water unless you're filtering it to some degree. For sure. Yes. There's all kinds of accidents where they accidentally added too much fluoride or a valve happened and and people have gotten sick from this and there have been a few casualties because fluoride in certain amounts will be lethal but that that's not common that doesn't happen a lot but it has happened in the history of fluoridation but it's more likely that they just have an overfeed people get nausea pets get sick um, there was just one in Utah not not too long ago so Definitely filter your water if you have fluoride in it or if you can find a healthier source of water like a, a spring water or just an alternative that would just have be naturally fluoride free. Absolutely. And I know that there are a lot of different filters and water filtration systems. I mean, you really have to, and it depends on what you've got going on. That's a, a different topic for a different day for sure. But I mean, the big thing is making sure that you are removing things like fluoride. I know we're, no, we're not talking about chloride today, but chloride is a major concern. Um, I have a lot of patients that I've worked with with multiple sclerosis and, and autoimmune conditions. And when they shower in a chlorinated water, it's a, a different conversation for a different day, it literally completely exhausts them. It taxes them to no end. And so I'm so mindful, like in our home, we don't have, we have chlorinated filters and fluoride filters as well, clearly a whole filter system. But when you, when I go to hotels or I go to other places in this country and stay, like you can smell it in the shower. Like you can, like you were like bathing in a chlorine bath. It's so nasty. And so I just wanted to just make it clear that you may have to do a little bit of research in terms of finding the right filters. Just make sure that you're checking the boxes on some of these really highly scary toxins. So water is one thing. It's the one thing that we know. I know toothpaste is another one. (laughs) Definitely. Yes. That's an easy one to switch because there's so many um, non-fluoride alternatives. But other other things that you might not think about are fluoride-based pesticides. There's a lot of those, and it's especially used on grape crops in California. So California wine can be very high in fluoride or, or raisins or just table grapes. So just be very mindful of any grape products, um, especially from California. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think grapes from California, wine from California. I mean, and I drank California wine forever and it's just the additives, the preservatives, the chemicals that go into a lot of our grapes here in California, this is where I live, are extremely contaminated. And so there's a, a little a company that we, we buy our wine from It's called Tri-Farm Wines and they vet farmers and growers around the world to ensure that they're organic and bioavailable. And so it's such a bummer. You know, and I I hate to be the bearer of bad news because so often, unfortunately, I am. And girl, we both are right now. We're together on this. But it's just really being mindful when it comes to drinking your wine to look into companies that are farmers that are biodynamic, organic, that they're not using a bunch of pesticides, herbicides, and nasty additives and ingredients. Like some wines in California could have up to like 60 plus additives, ingredients, pesticides, herbicides in their wine. And it's no wonder people get horrible migraines um, from, from drinking certain wines in the region. And the good news is that there are alternatives. So it's not like we're telling people they have to give up wine. Just fine. And and those alternatives taste really good. So that's good too. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's just, again, it's one of those things, you know, it's important that knowledge is power. And I haven't spent a lot of time here on the podcast talking about my concerns around wine, but I have a feeling that I have a lot of 
listeners who do drink it. And so often we think that wine is okay, just like a lot of these other things, just like we think tea is okay. And we think, well, I don't know if we think all pharmaceuticals are okay, but definitely things that crops and vegetables. And, and we just have to be super mindful. And so for us, uh, we, we mostly buy wine out of country at this point. As do I, yeah, because they don't they don't use the fluoride based pesticide in Europe, and they were actually the ones that noticed high amounts of fluoride on California wine because they test it before they imported it. So they've passed regulations that have somewhat limited the amount of fluoride in California wine, but that's only true for wineries when they for the product that they're going to export to Europe. Right, and that that's not a that's not a very big amount. Most of it's yeah. here <laughs> in the U.S. Yes. So wine, and I, I went on a little wine tangent. Thank you so much for letting me do that. <laughs> Other things that are exposed to, clearly probably wheat is what something, something to be mindful of, wheat-based products. Yeah, I don't know how much they use those pesticides on wheat. They're allowed to. They have a very high pesticide residue tolerance, but nobody really is even testing those residue tolerances for fluoride. That's why it's kind of a meaningless number, but they are allowed to use fluoride-based pesticides on a lot of different crops. So Going organic will help with any type of produce. I just mentioned grapes because those are the main ones that they use fluoride on. Mm. I know that you mentioned cereal, chicken products. Tell me about the chicken products. Yes. So chicken, you wouldn't expect um, chicken products to contain a lot of fluoride. I would. But when you think (laughs) about it, oh, you would? Yeah. Well, I didn't. I, when I figured out I had this reaction to fluoride. I ordered chicken soup at a restaurant that didn't fluoridate. And I thought, oh, finally I can have soup because it doesn't, it isn't made with fluoridated water here. I had a horrible reaction. And that is how I learned that fluoride accumulates in chicken bones, just like it does with humans. It accumulates in our bones, it accumulates in their bones. So when they are exposed to high amounts of fluoride on their feed, which is, can be ridiculously high in fluoride because of the pesticides, it accumulates in their bones and then it's passed on to you if you make bone broth or you know stock with those chicken bones. So it's really important to use quality bones if you are going to make stock because anything that is contained in those bones will end up in your soup. Mm, that makes so much sense. And that's not just true for soup, but even chicken nuggets and like chicken products, like chicken hot dogs, things like that. Chicken lunch meat will have it because it has little shards of the bone, the way that it's processed. So one serving of a child serving of chicken nuggets contain half their portion of the, the upper safety amount of fluoride for the day. So it's really important to, to really choose uh, quality foods if you're going to eat chicken. Melissa, any more bad news, girl? Any, anything else we oh. should be looking out for? <laughs> Well, the good news is if you know your farmer and he's raising like organic chickens, you don't have to worry about it. Tea is one where unfortunately I don't have good news around black tea because it just uptakes it directly from the soil. It's one of the few edible plants that is just naturally high in fluoride if it's grown in soil that contains fluoride. So there's really no way to to tell how high the fluoride is in tea. It can be very high. So that includes things like kombucha, which I know people love, but if, if there's fluoride in that tea, it will be in the kombucha as well, even if it's organic, because it's not really a pesticide issue. So that is bad news, since you asked. <laughs> and, then, and then the obvious pharmaceuticals, that fluoride could be being added to pharmaceuticals as well. 
It is in a surprising amount of pharmaceuticals because it helps deliver. Your body kind of interprets fluoride as iodine because they're very similar. They're both halogens. They're very similar in chemical structure. Iodine is in all of your cells. So your body, when it sees fluoride, it kind of delivers it throughout your body. And that's one reason they put it in so many pharmaceuticals. All of the top, pretty much all the top pharmaceuticals will be fluoride-based. So that is another source of exposure that people have to be careful of. Oh my goodness. I, I hadn't even thought about that. I was thinking about like, it must be due to absorption as what I was thinking when it comes to a pharmaceutical. Otherwise I was, I would, didn't understand why it would be there. Now we have some of the most common sources of fluoride exposure. Is it safe to say if we were to get rid of water and toothpaste and non-organic non-bioavailable wine, we would be in okay. We'd be in better shape than we were. Yeah. For most people, that's where I tell them, just start with the water and the toothpaste. That is pretty easy to do. And you should see a huge improvement right away. And that will tell you if you're on the right track, if fluoride is is an issue for you. I say give that 30 days. And in the meantime, you can see if there's any other major sources of exposure that might be throwing off your skin. But that is definitely a good place to start. Mm, yeah. And I, in talking about water filters, I don't know if you have one that you love. So what we ended up, cause I was looking for kind of an affordable right now, we, we rent the house that we're in and I'm not going to put a whole entire water filtration system into a home. I probably won't live in for a while. So what we ended up doing is we ended up buying a, a the Berkey, the Berkey water filter and we got a big Berkey and then um, Berkey also has, and I thought it was a very affordable system. Berkey also has um, shower filters as well. And so I know, I know we're talking about look into your water filters that this is, I'm not promoting Berkeley, Berkey. I'm just, just saying what I personally use. And I know that that oftentimes meets the price point for a lot of people who are like, what do I, how do I even start on this journey? If you're looking for filtering your water. Also, clearly you can buy filtered water, jugs of filtered water. And then clearly if you're not connected to a city source, which I very much am, I've, I've never not lived in a city. Clearly you've got spring water or potentially well water that you can rely on as well. Is there any, any type of water filter that you feel really confident recommending yourself, Melissa? It really depends on uh, people's sensitivity level to the fluoride. Some people are so sensitive. They need a double like reverse osmosis with an added fluoride filter on it to get rid of the amount of fluoride that they react to. Um, for other people, they're fine just with a reverse osmosis system. It really depends on, on your sensitivity. And I often tell people maybe start with distilled water. I know it's not a good uh, term. Some people don't like it for long-term use, but it is free of fluoride completely. So you can kind of set a baseline for yourself. And then when you switch to filtered water, and if you have a reaction, then you know, okay, this is still too much fluoride for me. I guess you could do that with water as well, as long as you're sure that it doesn't contain naturally uh, occurring fluoride. Right. And what are some, what are some flare-ups? I mean, clearly, so here's, here's the kind of the spectrum. We've got people who very sensitive to fluoride, they consume fluoride at a decent amount and bam, you get a flare-up. Right. And that would be, you know, people with autoimmune conditions or like colitis when they, they ate gluten. Right. You would girl, you would know it like you, you then, like within a couple of hours, you just don't feel the same. You're having a level of a flare up. I think people can relate to that. But let's say the, the more the concern for me is the long standing chronic damage that's happening over time. We wouldn't necessarily know what a flare up felt like one way or the other. Is there any way to like what, what could a typical flare up look like? And is it just good practice to 
slowly wean yourself off of some of these things. I mean, clearly pharmaceuticals are a whole different ball game, but wouldn't it be a recommendation across the board just in general? Yes. So an example of a flare-up would be in my condition, the cystic acne, and that's a reaction that happens within a within eight hours, you know, usually it's pretty immediate. I could think back and say, oh, what was I exposed to that is new? Other people have migraines. That's a common one with fluoride. Hives is another one. So there's these types of acute reactions that people get. And then as far as um, the long-term reactions, bone and joint disorders, that's a big one. Um, Fluorosis that accumulates in your bones, it can cause a lot of bone issues down the road. And we don't associate here in the United States with fluoride, but who knows how many people that suffer from bone conditions are actually suffering from fluorosis of the skeletal system. I spoke with a naturopath in Australia who did a, has done a lot of work with fluoride-sensitive people, and he said the people that had the skin reactions, like me, actually did better long-term because we knew to start avoiding it, you know? So right. you it's could like see that signal real fast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And your body's trying to detoxify. So it's actually a a very healthy reaction to fluoride. Whereas people that don't have those types of acute reactions, they didn't fare as well in the long term and will get more serious health conditions. So it's definitely important to try to cut down on your exposure, even if you don't have these acute reactions to fluoride. When I think if anyone's showing up with a low low thyroid function, clearly there's a number of root causes that that go along with low fi- thyroid function, but toxicity is a huge one. And fl- if fluoride's playing a major role there, it just seems like an easy thing to take out, just to rule out one more kind of big player toxin in the scheme of things. And I know sometimes when we're working with a complex condition like low thyroid function, that would be me as an example, is trying to you know field through everything that could be driving that particular issue. I know it can feel complicated, but you know you think about the overall getting rid of a neurotoxin like fluoride. It's just a win-win across the board, as far as I can see. You know whether you recognize the symptomology or are having flare-ups or not. It's just one more toxin the body is having to manage. And if we can get rid of it, however, you know, through water and toothpaste and being mindful about some of the food decisions that we're making, especially if you're getting migraines with drinking wine, I hear that all the time from people and it could easily be fluoride along with all the other nasty additives in some of these wine products. But it's just, again, if you're having that level of a response, it's time to make a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. That it is such an easy place to start. And it's something that a lot of people just don't think about because you don't see it in your water. It's not an ingredient that's listed on a label anywhere. But once you know to look for it, you can start making those connections. I I hear from so many people who said, oh, your, your book caught my attention because when I traveled to Italy or I traveled somewhere, my skin was so clear. And I always wondered why, you know, they think maybe it's something to do with stress or something, but there is um, a physical answer a lot of times to why those changes happen when you travel. Absolutely. Oh, it's a chemical change, right? Whether it, it could be a combination of like fluoride and the way that we, they take care of wheat or the way that they take care of their, their produce. You know, I think people can eat pizza in Italy, but they can't eat pizza here in the US, right? And so um, I do think it has a lot to do with what we're doing, unfortunately, to our crops and what we're adding to our water. I, I don't know why we feel this need to add a bunch of stuff to the things that we consume on a daily basis. 
that's the reason why I'm so excited to be having this conversation is, you know, every day we can make no nonsense approaches to our health and wellness. We can make these simple changes. And Melissa, you think you've really set us up for success in like, what are these little things that we can do right now? that can add up over time for ourselves and our family. Melissa, with that, where can we find you, girl? You're a podcaster. You've got this beautiful book as well. Tell tell me about where we can go and check you out. The website for the book is called um, hiddencauseofacne.com. That's the title of the book, so hopefully it's easy to remember. And then the the podcast is called F Pollution. (laughs) little chemistry joke there. Love it there. Yes, F for Florida. (laughs) Yeah. Love that. Well, I get it. So I get it. Get it. Com, you can find them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know what you were thinking, but it's purely a chemistry joke. <laughs> it absolutely is a chemistry joke. I love it. Yeah. We are going to link to them. We're going to link both to the podcast and to the website for the book. I know that the thoughts are, are, are swimming there. You're thinking about it. And I know that resources are so, so important. So make sure you go and grab those links. If you're thinking about a friend or family or you yourself, where this has come up for you, you know, for us, whether I had symptomology or not, it was just something moving forward. We didn't want to take any chances with. And so I had read a lot of the research, a lot of the things that we talked about today. And it's just for me, why not just be, why not just be mindful? Why not just take the precautions? And that's really what we've done here in our home. Although I hadn't thought about tea. We don't drink a lot of black tea. It's mostly green tea. I do know that there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going, a lot of controversy around tea because they do soak up so much different types of toxins like fluoride, the chicken products, and clearly the pharmaceuticals. I hadn't thought about fluoride for pharmaceuticals. So I really, really appreciated that, that knowledge and the knowing of where we can find these sources. Well, thank you so much for um, letting me uh, talk about fluoride here and share that information with your audience. Absolutely, Melissa. Thank you so much, honey, for coming on. Thank you. It's great talking to you. Wow, that was a lot of food for thought. And you may be feeling like you've got a lot more questions than answers at this point. Well, if you want to learn more, I know that Melissa has been doing her research for a long time. I and mean, she has gone back to the very beginning of this whole whole situation in 1940s. And she shares it not only in her book, but she also talks about it on her podcast, F Pollution where she goes into the nitty gritty, definitely check out either the book or the podcast. It's going to be in the show notes for this episode, which is 175. And if you want to check out the water filter that we use in our home to filter out more than just fluoride, it's called the Berkey water filter. Now we personally chose this one because it was cost effective and easy to use. And we could take it with us anywhere we go when we move from this house to the next house. The one thing that I want to note about the Berkey is that it comes with fluoride and heavy metal filters separately. So you got to buy those separate. They're still very affordable. The fluoride filters are recommended to be changed each year because they can build up because there tends to be a lot of fluoride in our water. And we have done that every single year since we purchased them for the last two years. Super easy to change. and We've been really, really happy with it. I also included a link to our wine company, the wine club that we belong to, which is called Dry Farm Wines. We buy a lot of wine as gifts and for family affairs. And my community has been asking me for recommendations on wine for quite some time, where it doesn't have additives or chemicals or pesticides. And so this is one of my absolute favorite wine clubs for that. They have a gold standard when it comes to really digging into figuring out what wineries are the best. And I can speak to this because one of my best friends, I mean, the second she drinks California wine or U.S. wine, she gets a migraine within a matter of minutes. And so when I introduced her to this, we were really curious to see what would happen. 
and she has fallen in love. And so she's not the only person I've had that happen with, but I'm just really grateful to be able to um, share with you the wine club that we belong to. I think you're gonna love it if you drink wine. If you don't, no worries. The link for Dry Farm Wines and the Berkey will be in the show notes as well, so you guys can go and check those out. Goodness knows, you know, it's always important to have these types of resources so that you know that there are companies out there that are doing their due diligence to make sure that you are living a healthier life. So again, all the links will be in the show notes for episode 175. And I want to say thank you so much again for coming into the Essentially You podcast and listening to this beautiful episode. We are going to continue to talk about skin with Krista coming up on the next episode. We're going to talk about how to actually address skin rashes, eczema, how to work on the gut to get your your skin back on track and why it is that we have some of these root cause issues when it comes to skin and eczema issues. So I'm super excited to jump into this conversation with Krista. I wanted to bring these episodes back to back because I get so many questions about skin all the time and I thought why not bring some beautiful experts on to really shine the light on what may be actually going on in the body. So I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Until then, have an amazing day. Hey.